millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast. And today we're going to talk about Roger Bacon. Roger Bacon was a Franciscan monk, and he lived from 1214 to 1294. So 13th century again, we're talking same time as like Albertus Magnus and that that kind of medieval time frame. He was a celebrated teacher, known as Dr. Mirabellus, which in Latin means wonderful teacher. Okay. What's this scholastic accolade? Uh, That would be a, a kudos, a tip of the cap to his scholastic endeavors. And that's because when he was teaching, on his, when he was really going at it, he was uh, the mas- a master at Oxford, uh, lecturing on Aristotle, then later the University of Paris, and then joined the Franciscan order um, and officially quit teaching at that point. But to that point, he was a master of letters. Dude, you sound like you're in a really good mood. Is this a... uh, it's called Red Bull and Shame. Red Bull and Shame. <laughs> and that, all right, so two yeah. negatives sometimes make a positive. Eh? Fantastic. Have fun editing that. <laughs> Anyways... So as a monk, uh, what's interesting is um, they weren't really supposed to publish without the order's consent. I guess it's, I mean, it's kind of obvious, you know, they're part of a greater order. order. And so he had a lot of ideas that, um, you know, he was, he was, again, we see this over and over of these people that get this alchemist reputation that they kind of had a tendency to look at empirical methods or, um, I mean, he also studied Arabic work. So, you know, to actually use your experience from the field and not just read out of books okay but here's the thing he felt empowered to do this because uh, pope clement the fourth right was his buddy all yep. right he was his close friends what this meant was that he got the green light from the pope and so he felt he felt empowered to write about this stuff but here's where it went south on him when the pope died unexpectedly this then became heretical uh speech at some point i'm sure and he was in prison. Well, we don't really don't know why he was in prison. Right. It's kind, but, of, kind of a mystery But still. this yeah. makes sense. Without his benefactor alive anymore to protect him and Pope mm-hmm. Clement IV, I think it was up for grabs that he was probably saying things that uh, weren't in the church's best interest. Yeah. Some, some of the theories are that um, he had kind of liked to um, buy into contemporary prophecies of the time, which uh, you know other monks kind of looked down upon. And he had interest in certain astrological doctrines, which a lot of people did. I mean, this is, you know, even within the church. Um, and then there's another theory that his personality might have played a big role, which we've also seen in Many other times. This is actually part that, of the mold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the alchemist. But, you know, looking at his order, the Franciscan order, um, of course, comes after the, the, their patron saint, uh, Francis of Assisi. Um, mm-hmm. And they followed that, that Franciscan ideal as an order to help those less fortunate take a, a, a vow of poverty. They were kind of the, on the outside looking in in a lot of ways during yeah. this time. Because when you think about uh, Pope Clement IV and, and um, uh, Pope Urban at the time, uh, these guys were living large, man. I mean, they, in, in, church, in the church doctrine, they, they, uh, they followed their own, their own path. It wasn't necessarily the path of the church. 
Um, so a Franciscan, if I'm not mistaken, at the time would have been kind of on the outsides looking in. They yeah, they were the they, I don't want to say hippies, but they but no, they were the but they, aesthetics they were, and a little, little quieter. Exactly. Yeah. They they weren't all into the material uh, way of living. So already he's at a point where he's on the outside looking in, and this does play into the part where he might have been in prison or on the blacklist for yeah. his, for his belief system. But but we don't know for sure. But, I'm just speculating yeah, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That part's lost to history. So, you know, I like to talk about some of the science things he actually he, he did do because later we'll get into some of the kooky theories. But um, he, he did delve into optics, which we've also seen before. Um, he criticized the Julian calendar. So he you know thought he had a better idea and he strongly kind of fought for or, or promoted the idea that natural sciences should be taught in universities um, and to, you know, so like I said, experimentally test theories and that kind of thing. So kind of, you know, go about it in an empirical, reproducible way. But really, science and universities? Like, what was he thinking? I mean, well, you know, it's... Really? It, this is, uh, you know, when we think about university, we think, well, where the name comes from is universal. And the idea is to be universally exposed to what knowledge set humans have at that time. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Well, they had very different ideas of... Yeah, exactly, I mean, and some of these things really caused uh, political rifts among uh, the the kings or emperors or potentates that were uh, the, where these universities were located, and and so if you really push the envelope, maybe beyond the the the, uh, the theocracy of the time and the location, you could get yourself in some serious trouble as a professor um, or even yeah. as a student attending these classes. So when you say that he really kind of pushed the envelope, he was playing with fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, he was. Yeah. In 13th century, definitely. You know, there were some kind of secular universities that, that um, I mean, quote, unquote, secular universities that, you know, emperors and kings set up. But still, they're probably run by the church in some in some fashion or well, other. Well, we, we see mean. that here in Prague uh, with Charles University, one of the older universities yeah. in Europe. And there were some issues that, um, that uh, we, we had seen where – Someone would profess, and that was actually even Jan Hus, if I'm not mistaken, was was a mm-hmm. lecturer at Charles University. Boy, I hope I didn't get that wrong, but I, I think he was. Jan, Jan Yasinski was. He yeah, was and, another... and at some point, uh, because his his uh, his rhetoric got him kicked out. Yeah. So, and then of course led led him to you know the you know the the funeral pyre. Um, while well, still alive, actually, so it wouldn't be a funeral pyre. But um, uh, so that yeah, it did it did play a part. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, it wasn't just the universities that that criticized him. I mean, it, it you know, it obviously went both ways. Um, he criticized many of his contemporaries, including including Albertus Magnus, who we did a podcast on. And uh, I find that interesting because I would I wouldn't lump them together, but they have some similarities. Like they got their reputation for being alchemists by looking at nature. And and but anyways, apparently uh, Roger Bacon didn't like. Uh, Albertus's methods or, or something about him. I mean, he criticized many others. Now, I want to talk about his works, like some of the things we did or some of the things he wrote. But I need to kind of point out here that a lot of the things attributed to him, and we see this over and over also, uh, weren't actually something he wrote. So after he died, he got a reputation for being an alchemist. So then when they looked back and they found some alchemical writing, then they would just assume that he wrote it. And a lot of the Roger Bacon quotes in kind of the 17th, 16th, 17th centuries weren't actually written by him at all. So he, he and then also, you know, he was, because of his reputation, he was in fiction a lot. So, so he's definitely a larger than life figure. What I want to start with is something he definitely did write. So this, this we know, 
okay? And that's the opus magus. And then there was also um, two derivative works of that. And this was basically something that Pope Clement the Fourth asked him to write. So this was his main work. Yeah, what opus magus means in Latin is greater work. Right. Right. Yep. So Roger, Roger Bacon, um, this would be maybe a, an idea of a, a compendium of his mm-hmm. of his knowledge. Exactly. And of course, written yeah. in Latin meant that he was educated. Well, if if we talk about alchemists that don't speak Latin, I think you, you can just assume that they're frauds. And we, and there are those, and we will talk about them. But but yeah, I think that they all have to kind of at least appear educated, or or they're just no one will buy it. So yeah, this this opus magus, it's you know like you said, a compendium. It's you know eight hundred and forty pages about natural science, grammar, logic, mathematics, physics, philosophy. And, of course, I wouldn't bring it up if you didn't at least mention alchemy. Um, but, but some of the astrological things, astronomical things, rather, was kind of the size and distance of planets, which was really just speculation from, from his point. But he did review alchemy. Another interesting thing that I came across is that he reviewed Apparently, he saw some firecrackers at one point. He kind of described a firecracker about as big as someone's thumb. And so this is right when gunpowder just starts to appear in Europe and not in gun form by any means. So this, this was he, – he described it as a toy that made like a, a disproportionate noise for the size of the firecracker, you know, like someone's thumb. And he, he described it in very medieval language, which was – fascinating to read. Travis, in some of your readings, did, when we talk about gunpowder in this time, because I think some of that goes hand-in-hand hand with alchemy mm-hmm. uh, later on, of course, uh, but did some, did some of these early alchemists, and maybe including Roger Bacon, come up with the idea of the reason why there's a loud sound and a concussion blast is because air molecules are being pushed away? No. Th- that was too early? No. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, they might have, if they felt, uh, if, if they felt a blast, you know, they might have had some strange explanation, but no, nothing like. Okay, so that was a little ahead of the time. At that point. Oh yeah, okay. they would have. They would had. They would had a totally mystical explanation for it, like some demon trapped in a rock and then has let loose something. You know, I don't want to say that that's what it was, but it's more along that nature than atoms bursting apart or even chemical reaction. You know, it's. I bring this up in the things that he actually did write about because this he did write about he kind of anticipated call it future inventions. I mean he he clearly had an open mind and he he described things that I, I'm going to put our modern words to it. And if you read his writings, it was much more obscure. But you, he wrote about things that you that we would call microscopes, telescopes, spectacles. We talked about he, he talked about optics, okay? Right. But these things did not exist at his time. So he he was saying. You can see something far away and make and see it clear, like it's in front of you, or see tiny, tiny things like they're big. With convex right? lenses, yeah. So that to that point? he didn't know about convex lenses, but he but he he anticipated. He this this was like science fiction. I mean, he was just guessing that someday we will have these things. So microscopes, telescopes, spectacles, uh, but then he also mentioned flying machines. Uh, hydraulics and st- something something that you could call a steamship. This kind of sounds a little bit like H.G. Wells meets Da Vinci. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, Da Vinci was already further ahead. He also had this same grasp of things that are possible, even if they're even if he had no idea how to do them. You know, like he kind of had this helicopter thing, and and Roger Bacon is is somewhat in the same same boat that he just had an imagination. That was just ahead of its time. I mean, he could he could imagine these things. I don't know if we mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast yet, but this may be a little bit of a different deal because he was other than teaching in Paris. I mean, he was an Englishman, 
So I mean, he was from Somerset, England, um, in you know between in the 13th century. Um, so I, I can't imagine there were two. His circles were very were really big um, in England when it comes to this kind of thought. This seems to be something that would be more continental on uh, Europa uh, with the, the ideas of of uh, this alchemy. Is is that a, is that a right concept or wrong concept? Because yeah, it, alchemists I mean, we're, we're, we've talked about I, before. Ideas went back and forth, yeah. and um, the the alchemy influence. If if I were to to um, kind of guess where that came from, if, whether directly or indirectly, he did study some Arabic scripts, okay, and those are the same type of writings that they were studying on the on the mainland. So you have that same kind of Arabic influence that Albertus Magnus had, or, or Ramon Lul, or those guys. So maybe they had different conclusions because of a different cultural background, but in the end, it was it was still similar enough. I mean, you. One might recognize the other, if they're, and they're both writing in Latin, you know. So, so let's jump into some of the works that were probably not written by him, or you, you know, I wouldn't want to say for sure. And maybe influenced. Um, well, see, I think a lot of the works are just attributed to him that he just plain didn't write, but were a huge influence later to later alchemists, and they they thought he wrote them. So sometimes that doesn't matter. I like to. This is. Actually, it's good you bring that up because the influence of, of the works sometimes is just as important whether he wrote it or not, okay? Because it doesn't matter who wrote this. Um, there were these works, alchem- alchemical texts that someone thought Roger Bacon wrote, and then later it, they took these texts, no matter where they came from, and they built on them and, and created new ideas. So the reason I still bring them up here is that whether he wrote them or not, it's still part of his legacy, even if he had nothing to do with them. You know what I mean? They would quote him. His name would come up. This sounds you, a you lot know. about our previous so, podcast with Al Ghazali, reached so many different places, even yeah, if he wasn't around. That he had exactly. It was almost like a mythological context. Yeah, that yeah. By the time it reached, uh, you know, Western Europe, yeah, they called him Al Ghazal, and he was this, you know, semi magician, and yeah, absolutely, it's it, it's similar to that. Um, now we mentioned this this next book. We mentioned this before. Voynich Manuscript. We mentioned this in the Rudolf II Because it was podcast. in Rudolf II's collection. Exactly. In his crazy apartment here in Prague. I- I'm grinning right yeah. now because I love remembering. Like his collection had, you know, nails from Noah's Ark. And, and I mean, you know. I think we, we mentioned this Splinters before. of the it, cross. It, if you could just say, can I whole, take one? A, a holy grail. <laughs> I want to take one authentic tour. It's, it's better than going to Universal Studios, all right? Just, yeah. Just let yeah. me get into Ru- Rudolph II's uh, um, cha- chamber area. The Devil's Prague Bible. Castle. All that stuff I'll is just happy. strewn around the, yeah. the world now. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, this this Voynich manuscript, this is one of the places it pops up. And I'll tell you right now, he almost certainly did not write it. Okay, but still, when they were trying to figure out who could have because of his reputation, it kind of came back to him. And what what it is, again, again, we've mentioned this in another podcast, but this is this book that is in an unknown language. So it's probably made up even, you know, cryptographers cannot decipher it cryptographers are very clever people so you know they know what they're doing you know there's there's all kinds of analysis you can do on a language and it's just nothing fits so they cannot tell even if it's a made-up alphabet you could still tell if it's english or german or, or or even latin or arabic and it's none of those it's just completely made up totally indecipherable to to date i should say uh, the, this book has all these herbal plants and it looks like you know it's from about that time period 
and it's herbal plants and descriptions of them and, and possible medical uses and recipes and everything, but no one can decipher it. No one knows where it came from. It just it popped up in Rudolph II's collection. Okay, And actually, I think Rudolph II's collection is about the first time it came into history, but people speculated that Roger Bacon was the author. So it probably wasn't even written like hundreds of years after his death. But anyways, you know, it's it's a cool trivia fact so so I put it in there we get into we get into some some other writings that again now I these are possibly written by him possibly not they're not even sure when they were when they were written so it might not have even been in his lifetime but um, the next couple ones we'll talk about it is possible they were written by him so and and they definitely contributed to his reputation and they were quoted later by him so that's why we're going to go into it that's why we're going to read about it if someone says well if you know he didn't write it don't talk about it well Still, we our idea of Roger Bacon wouldn't be the same without these next books we're going to mention. They so, go part and parcel with right. with the myth and the man. Exactly. Okay. So so here they are. What what's uh, what's another one of them? One of the works from Roger Bacon. And it's a little bit of a hazy date, uh, but it, it's it's known as the letter on the secret workings of art and nature, and on the vanity of magic. Sometimes alternately entitled on the wonderful powers of art and nature. This treatise dismisses magical practices such as necromancy and contains most of the alchemical work attributed to Bacon, chiefly a formula on the Philosopher's Stone, which we talked about ad infinitum in previous podcasts, and uh, perhaps one for gunpowder. It also contains a number of passages about hypothetical flying machines and what we would call today submarines, attributing to their first use to Alexander the Great. Yeah, so some of this is clearly kind of hokey bogus but um but yeah i did read some of what he supposedly wrote on the philosopher's stone and it could have been written by him i mean it's definitely possible so that's why i left it in but yeah saying that alexander the great used submarines yeah i don't think so not so i'm gonna say no to that one i'm gonna call that one okay another uh example of an alchemical manuscript was the speculum alchemae which was translated into english as the mirror of alchemy in 1597. It's a short treatise about the composition of and origin of metals, which a lot of alchemists had theories of the origin of metals. Um, a lot of this was, he was kind of, you know, parroting or going along with with the kind of conventional, you know, conventional, let's, let's call it that, um, you know, for, at least for the time period, Arabian theories of mercury and sulfur. And, you know, we talk about this in every podcast almost, like salt, mercury, sulfur. Transmutation. Yeah, what they have to do with right. with metals and, you know, you know, he didn't say transmutation, the word, but yes, like changing one thing to another. Um, that, the, the Speculum Alchemy was probably not written by him. Like, if I had to put money on it either way. I have this book called The Alchemist Reader. I bring it up every once in a while. Um, this this is by Stanton J. London. And there's an excerpt from a book that he supposedly wrote called Radix Mundi. And uh, I, again, I have my doubts whether he actually wrote it or not. This one may be kind of on the no side, but but um, it does go along with with what I have read that he did believe in alchemy. So it, it is in the same vein. So that, that's why I put it in here. And regardless whether he wrote it or not, this one, the Radix Mundi, was quoted many times. And, he, and Roger Bacon was always as the author. So if someone says Roger Bacon was an influence on so-and-so, they might mean this book, and it might have not actually been written by him. So... There you have it. Um, he talks about the the origin of metals, okay? And I'm gonna I'm going to summarize like 40 pages I read into a couple of paragraphs. 
and because it was written, I'm not even going to quote it because it's written in that strange alchemical weirdness that is just full of mythology and mysticism. So, it's, so we won't need our decoder rings for this. You won't need our. I already, I've already okay. decoded it. <laughs> sort. I mean, bear with me here. So to make it really short, he, okay. So origin of metals. He believed in the five elements in unison. So nothing new here. You know, earth, air, fire, water, spirit. Okay. Now you grow the metals with sulfur and mercury. Again, we've seen this a thousand times. And naturally, this happens in the pores and veins of the mountains, which is, we've heard about this from Sendivogius, if you listen to that episode. While this is happening, this creates vapor of cloud, which is produced. And then thousands of years later, bam, you got metal and other minerals. Okay? You're welcome for condensing that for you because that was that a nightmare. Of reading. That was Thank a you. nightmare to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to get to, yeah, it. Metals are created in the in the earth. Oh, really? Huh. But but he said you know using sulfur and mercury. So this is the natural process. Okay, but you can do this in your own home. Uh, uh, please do not try this at home. But you can do this in your own home. Um, so you can quicken this by making the tincture, the tincture. So this is again, this is the elixir of life, the philosopher's stone, liquid gold. Okay, but he called a viscous, it the, a viscous water, a thick water. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the tincture. This, they, they call it all different things. In fact, they're, they, they even call it the universal mes- medicine if it can make you better. But universal medicine can be made out of gold. So this is all these ideas flow together, but they don't mean the same thing to the same alchemists. But so he, he described it as, as, like you said, a thick water that when returned to the earth becomes fixed. So you can be faster than nature by using this tincture. Okay, so mercury is both stone and no stone. It swallows other things and is swallowed by other things. It is the basis of the tincture, right? So the elixir, the philosopher's stone, okay? And Razis, he, he quoted Razis, which is, his real name was like Al-Razi or something like that. He, he, was, he was an Arab, but again, you know, just like Al-Ghazali was Al-Ghazel. It's, so Razis is quoted as saying, such a thing may be made of it which exceedeth the highest perfection of nature. So this this philosopher's stone can do a better job in a faster time than nature can by itself. And did it work as advertised? I uh, have my doubts. Okay, so our stone, the philosopher's stone that we made, is natural or mineral, vegetable and animal, because it's generated in the mines, mother or womb of metal. It springs and grows like a vegetable and abounds with life like an animal. Do you buy that, Pete? Is that I, I would say this is the stuff I would hear walking down the street on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington D.C. All right, this, this is this is what I would hear. From my me. stone is metal. My and stone animal. is metal, and can I have something else to drink? Uh, this, Mineral this is, and animal. Yeah, it, it, you know, I think I can see where someone would be saying, "Wow, you're you've kind of left uh, the area of of, <laughs> left- of common thought, <laughs> right? You know, you've left uh, the maybe building. You, you've imbibed some of this mercury, which you should not do." You know, a lot of these are, are scholars, so they read Aristotle. They read about the five elements, or you know, four or five elements, whatever, and then the the three other substances and the you know the four humors, you know, whatever. And this is you know basing their science, if you will, which I won't, um, basing th- their knowledge off of that, and then expanding on it. And this is what you get. I mean, it's it's logical. It's just not uh, real. But okay, you know, um, he talked about the the tools you would need. For the purification of metal. And uh, he, he talked about glass, you know, that it's transparent. Um, and then also kind of lab equipment, like, you know, that, that it's hermetically sealed so no fumes escape. They didn't say fumes. They would say something like vapors or 
the air, you know, some more mythological terminology, but, you know, he was describing a, a chemistry set. I mean, you know, hermetically sealed um, glass, whatever, beaker or something. Okay, but now we get back into the weirdness again pretty quickly because soul mercury. So he would talk about the sun and he would talk about that the sun is mercury and the moon is something else, salts or whatever. And so you're talking about the white and the red. So he would talk about that, you know, and this happens over and over again. So this is like that same language. So red is gold, uh, white is silver, uh, the sun is gold, the moon is silver. So you're always combining the two, okay? So the white and the red. Marry the white man to the red woman or some, something like that. And that, that, that has a meaning of, you know, mix the mercury with the sulfur or mix the mercury with the metal or, you know, so there's there's always... Um, a double meaning. Yeah, we see this over... And you, you see pictures. Like, I, I'm going to scan some pictures one of these days, and it is just crazy. Like, to fix something... So we would say um, a chemical bond, okay? So you mix A with B, and that creates C, which is a compound, okay? But they would call it to transfix something. And then you'd see an illustration of someone skewering a snake with a sword to a tree. And they're describing a chemical process, but not if you saw that picture, that is not what you would think is going on. That's not one of these these hiking symbols on a on a tree saying no. camp here is what you're no. trying to tell me. Right. If I see if I see if I see a snake skewered to a tree, I'm probably gonna go the other direction. You're like, oh there's That's, a chemist around. Is, no, huh. I wouldn't be saying that as a warning. <laughs> yeah. Um there was a – Yeah, well like like Marry the white man to the red woman. So you would see a couple. You'd see a, a man wearing red and a woman wearing white and you know, but that would be describing like mixing two chemical compounds. So now you're also talking about moist and dry fire. So they mean not too hot because dry fire, yeah, is there moist fire? I don't know. But but they're talking about, you know, keeping it within a certain temperature or a certain type of fire. And it had to be very stable. So this is, this almost gets into some more modern science because without these um, laboratory processes, you know, they, they did... If there's one thing alchemists did do for a fact, it's create better lab equipment and, and better ways to, you know, have constant um, hearths and, you know, constant temperatures for months at a time. Well, let, let's let, let's put it this way. Uh, this this is not new science for this era of time because when we talk about ceramics, this has been going on since thousands of years Cera- where people yeah. would have – a set temperature because if you did mm-hmm. not have a certain temperature for some types of ceramics, it would crack uh, or the glaze would not be as good or a strong strong bond with this clay. So so many artisans that worked with ceramics mm-hmm. had a precise heating issue built by the kiln that they built. Actually, it's funny you should mention that because porcelain in the West was alchemists. Makes so, complete sense. Yeah, they said, so because they had the equipment to do it. Yeah, they're using old, would old basic science and yeah. saying, okay, how can I – attribute it to this new kind of fangled sort of thought of making or transmutation of of other elements, right? Yeah, so so they had the equipment to then do other things. But okay, so back down the rabbit hole. Now he would talk about decoct, commix, conjoin, sublime, bake, grind, congeal, make equal, putrefy, make white, then red. Um, So these are all things that we can understand, you know, mix and join and, uh, you know, boil down, distill, congeal. Okay. It sounds like Shakespeare. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that close. But like make white, then red. Like they would say, 
um, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's if it's uh, Roger Bacon's. I don't want to jump to another episode here, but but um, you're talking about waiting for something to cook until it's black, and then making and then waiting a little, a couple more days usually, or or even longer, and then it will slowly turn white. You know, and, and keeping the whole thing sealed so the vapor doesn't escape. So this is you know, so so they'd use colors to say, okay, so wait till it gets black, and then you know keep going on and then it turns white and then take it from the you know something like this but they but then they would take this simple idea and then they would go off so the, the again like some of these paintings and drawings that you'd see would just have some crazy meaning about black guy not a black guy but a person wearing black and then a person wearing now, red to, to, then... to me at this time when witch burning was probably getting kicked into gear here yeah. in, in Europe this would seem like Witchcraft. Oh yes. Is, yeah. is, is that what other people saw? These, as? Yeah. If they if they saw an alchemist lab, they would assume not all the time, but a lot of times it, the, the, the distinction between this and sorcery, they just didn't know what was going on. So here's this guy that that is well educated and speaks Latin, and their neighbors just constantly smell sulfur, which you know it's that the has devil. A, exactly yeah. that has a strong connotation to hell. So there, yeah, there was a lot of kind of uh, iffy iffy reputations being made here in the process. So then he would talk about checking your work, okay? Which is which is a smart smart advice. So keeping your glassware half out of the fire so you can see it. Then you say something like a 40-day check, okay? And then you would see the black crust from the mercury, which is called the fires, the soul, the cloud, raven's head, coal, oil, aqua vitae, tincture of redness, shadow of the sun, black brass, water of sulfur, okay? We're talking about Black sulfur. That's it. But they would use these crazy terms: shadow of the sun. Just, you with me? Like the, you, you just watching? I, I go back to my original statement. This does sound like witchcraft. Yeah, but you're just you're just watching <laughs> yeah. sulfur burn in a fire. But then they, you know, they attribute these crazy names to it, and these crazy names don't help make it clear to the well, average well, well, reader. Well, maybe it's not supposed know? to, Travis. It's not. Maybe it's, it's not. supposed to be yeah. something that you recite and remember. Because written well, word might be hard for others well, here, to read. Here's right? the thing: is that yeah, and there's a lot of pictures, and a lot of that could be due to that. Yeah, but but it was also it was always supposed to be hidden knowledge. On the first episode, we talked about what esoterica means. Okay, and this was not meant for everyone. This, this was dangerous for some people. This was you're you're playing with nature, which means you're playing with God's knowledge. So you don't want to abuse that. Just like now, some people say you don't want to do stem cell research. I mean, it's just you or, know, or, same. Or maybe more more appropriately, um, genetic genetic cloning. Yeah. Like that that probably or genetically yeah. modified stuff is just right. completely banned in Europe. Like right. we do not eat genetically modified food. Might be here. something to that genetic banning. You know, it yeah. comes to some of those things. So yeah. it's, you we know, some know. people would say, "Well, you're playing God. You don't know what you're doing, so don't do it." So uh, if you're going to do it, then uh, describe it in a language that not everyone understands. So that is it really you need to be initiated into the fold of alchemy to be able to, to so, interpret. So you're this. saying maybe maybe these this prose that he's saying is not so much for recitation. But more so for coding. Yeah, keep it, out it, it could of, it of could layman. be it could be yeah. Because another thing, like you just said, you, I mean, you could write a you could have a fairy tale storybook, and that another alchemist might be able to read what that says. But they would have to be told what that says first, and then they'd be able to read what that says. Okay, so the point is, when it's all done, you can you can add pure gold to this. You you've just created the aqua vitae, the elixir of life. Okay, but but we think of it more as philosopher's stone in this sense, in, in Roger Bacon's context. So he wasn't after eternal life. So add some pure gold. Okay, let that ferment, and when you pour the gold out, this can be done indefinitely. So you've just created gold. And now, 
again, it becomes very murky, but he says you can do this up to 10 times, 100 times, depending on how you do it and how much gold you add, you can get 10,000 times more gold than with you started. And it's really, that paragraph is really hard to understand what he meant. This would be a good time for listener mail because <laughs> I do not understand what he was saying when he said that. But um, so, you know, you add some gold to it. You need the gold, but then um, you can just keep pouring it out. It'll just keep coming. He said sometimes it's 10 times. Sometimes if you've done it really well, it's 100,000 times. So, you know, he said 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times. Anyways, now he talks about that there's fraudster alchemists that in vain do all their – and this is interesting – um, they, they do all their distillations, sublimations, conjunctions, calcinations, dissolutions, cointritions, etc., etc. Okay, and he says that not that's that's not all necessary. You, you saw how easy the recipe was we just read a minute ago. That's all you need. All these other fraudsters add additional levels on it to make it even more complicated because they're frauds. So they just try to obscure it so much that it means nothing. Here's the thing. If you just understood what I said, that's because God let you understand. If you did not understand what I just said, that's not my fault. I'm not a fraud. It's because God did not want you to understand. So the whole white, the man in white marrying the woman in red, if you didn't get that, that's because you weren't supposed to. So if you didn't understand the snake eating, eating his own tail and the shadow of the sun, that's not my fault. I'm not a fraudster. That's because God doesn't want you to understand. Remember, he's a Franciscan. You need to be right with God before you can understand the gold recipe. When you're right with God, God will open your eyes. And, you know, if you're good, if, you're, if you deserve it, he will reveal these secrets to you. Is this where the, uh, the fraud term snake oil comes from? No. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like it would be a perfect fit right here for snake oil. This, this might yeah. be something for your podcast, uh, Bohemian. I saw someone at a dog show, which I don't want to talk about. I saw someone selling i kid you not snake oil and he had really snakes in like formaldehyde and everything on the thing and it was a big like modern you, you know it wasn't like old timey look at me i'm selling snake oil no he had a booth set up with a modern picture of a snake like a logo and it had all these in check i took a picture of it i'll have to uh, yeah. put it on your blog and you can talk about it uh, he had a picture or it was in check writing the benefits of things you get from snake aka snake oil Kid you not, 2013. I never would have thought. I, I, that's something I would think I, I would have heard maybe the turn of the 20th century. Well, welcome in place in Indiana. Welcome to the but, Czech Republic, wow, my friend. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That is something else. So when you look at Roger Bacon uh, in the sense of, of what he's known for, remembered for, we've talked about some of the literature, some of the books, uh, some of the people that attached themselves to his name or to his mythology or mythos. Um, you would have to also look at his, his connection to gunpowder. Some would say that Bacon is often considered to be the first European to describe the mixture containing the essential ingredients for gunpowder. Now, right. of course, that's a big step if we're talking about you know before the era of of the the East meeting West in the sense of of China that it had gunpowder for for many centuries. I, yeah, I, I did read that passage. I think he had an idea because um, he mentioned something like saltpeter and everything, but but. If he was able to reproduce it or anything, you know, I don't know. Well, and, and this, but, this kind of lends to the idea that people would call him the real first scientist, which is really kind of a stretch. As I, we say. I would say it's a stretch. Yeah, yeah you know. But be, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, because he did talk about chemical processes and he yeah. talked about some of those things. But I, I think uh, he was he was 
I wouldn't say he was a man before his time, but let's just say maybe he, he set the inspiration mm-hmm. for others to follow. Sure. That that might be his, it's something we hang our, our hat on when we talk about Roger Bacon. Uh, taking a look at how he, he even influenced even uh, modern day, If you, I don't know if you remember this movie or not, but In the Name of the Rose, this is maybe in the late Man, 1980s. I watched it about then. Yeah, yeah. In late 1980s, Sean Connery's a monk. And yeah. it's a detective story in the middle in the Middle Ages, um, and his his apprentice is a very not a very young but right after Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> yeah, you know uh, Matthew Broderick that was his second role and it was Sean Connery. Now well, I'm going to have to rewatch. Now that you have to watch yeah. it exactly. And so I uh, it was almost a Sherlock Holmes like medieval mm-hmm. sort of monks discovering a murder mystery uh, with a crazy monk. Uh, that had no, I believe, had cloudy eyes. That'll it'll okay. freak you out. It'll yeah. freak you out. All right, so you know, see if you can find that movie at some point. But he is mentioned in there as well. So, uh, yeah, his his name sort of lives on, and of course, it'll live on in our podcast uh, as as an alchemist of of certain acclaim. And I think that uh, is a name that probably should not be forgotten in alchemist circles. Sure. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.